Welcome to the Soul Too Early Sports Card Podcast. Mega bidding our way to your hearts. That's not Kai. I'm the CEO and founder of Break Comp Cards. Uh, and today we have a special guest on the podcast. It is not Kai, although he is a little special. That's what you get, Kai, for being late. Uh, we actually have Lane, LJK Cards, who... Lane, why don't you introduce yourself? How the hell are you doing, man? What's up, Dave? Thanks for having me on. Really excited to be here. Good. How's everything with you, man? How's everything been? Good. Really, Everything's going good. Um, fun time of the year. Getting ready to move here, but the holidays are coming up. Really exciting time. Fun releases are coming out. Yeah, so you actually have a very interesting perspective. So for everyone who does not know Lane, he actually has been a breaker over Lane Sports Cards for two years now, something like that? Yep, just over two years. So originally, you're from like the Tri-State You're from Connecticut, right? Which, that's technically not Tri-State, but... Originally, you're originally from Connecticut. <laughs> you, you worked in marketing, I believe... Correct. And then recently, in the last couple of years, you started working at Layton. So what was that journey like for you? How did you end up there? And what have, what are your thoughts on it so far? Yeah, I mean, so how I got there. So I was working a marketing job, like you said, um, kind of helping small businesses grow their online presence via SEO as well as social media. <clears throat> um, and then, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. You're good. Um, and then COVID came around, uh, actually it was just before COVID, um, the company decided to do layoffs. Um, it was about 70% of the company got let go. At that point, I decided to kind of just go at cards, see what could happen with actually doing cards full time. Um, and then a mutual friend of, uh, Rich and myself introduced us. I had never met Rich prior to a show in Miami. Um, we kind of hit it off. We had some good conversations and two and a half years later, I've been working for him, uh, as a breaker, as his head of acquisitions, helping him grow his business. It's pretty crazy, right? So you actually, cause you're doing cards before this, obviously, but you were kind of, were you more flipping cards? Were you more collecting? Was it kind of like a weird in between? Because I know that you have an insane collection and also an incredible backlog of stuff. But did working at Layton in that process really kind of accelerate that? Or was that kind of just like a jumping off point? Um, so it was kind of both. Before I came and worked at Layton, I was traveling to shows. I was trying to go to at least one show a month um, in terms of traveling. And then there was a lot of local shows in the tri-state area in Connecticut. So realistically, I was hitting up a show pretty much every single weekend. Um, and that was in the heart of COVID. I would put on my mask. I would... Everyone kind of made fun of me because my mom uh, has a lot of immuno uh, issues that like would be immunocompromised. So yeah. I had to wear like heavy duty mask. I was wearing like two or three masks. I had to wear gloves like the whole night. Oh, yeah. God. It literally looked like I was like wearing like a full on like just like health suit. You're, going, um, you're operating on these deals is what you're telling me. But that was the agreement my mom was like if you're going to go to these shows you have to be basically covered head to toe and then when you come home it is what it is like you'll be in your room you'll be in the basement you'll you'll do what you have to do but if you're going to the shows that was the deal um and then i was breaking as well for my friend jeff um and so i was doing probably around four to five breaks per uh per week sorting those shipping those on top of going to the card shows in and buying and selling the singles 
dude, it's so crazy. Like the the COVID times, like looking back on them, were some of the most incredible times price wise in this entire industry. I mean, obviously now you're seeing things drop every single day. It's absolutely crazy. But as someone who works at Layton and as someone who is the head of acquisition, like what has your buying experience been like um, when you're purchasing cards for them? What is the breaking experience like? And how have you kind of seen this industry shift from being a collector, being someone who's flipping cards to more of a business perspective? So I give you a lot of things there. Yeah. Run free with it. Um, so I'll start with kind of the change in perspective from a collector to business. Perfect. Um, so not a lot in terms of how I look at cards changed in that sense. I would say the biggest difference is you take a little bit less risk in terms of prospects. So you look for more guys that are already a little bit more proven. You're not going to be chasing as many rookies. You're not going to be chasing as many Bowman first. However, that doesn't mean you're eliminating them completely from the portfolio. You can look at guys like Jackson Holiday, who are essentially at this point a proven commodity that you can start adding those to the portfolio. You can start adding those to the repacks, doing things like that, because you know that that's a safe play. Um, versus you don't know what's going to happen necessarily with all of these NBA rookies. Do I like Wemby? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Wemby. I don't think he's a flash in the pan talent. Um, but you don't know what's going to happen with his health at this point. And his cards are not cheap. So no. that's not necessarily a player that I'm going to be adding into like a latent portfolio. I might throw him into a repack here or there, but I'm not going to be putting that guy. I'm not going to be putting Wemby away long term at this point. Do you worry about like, what do you, what do you really believe like is going to happen with these like incredible prospects who let's be real 85 to 95 percent of them are just going to be either never making their NBA MLB debut for prospecting in Bowman Chrome or honestly worst case are just average like if you're a bust you're a bust and it happens but it almost feels like being average is actually worse when it comes to Bowman Chrome cards. So I think it depends on what angle you're playing because. If you're going after just the absolute top guys, you're going to end up getting burned probably 40% of the time. Um, yeah, I think more. If you're going after, I'm talking about like the top 10 talents. I don't think it's that. Like recently you have a couple of guys that haven't necessarily panned out as well as they could have, but you still have a lot of time with them. I'm talking about people are kind of down on Elijah Green, on Drew Jones. Um they're both in their teens still. You still have plenty of time for them to bounce back. Um, they are talented players. They just have to get comfortable with the different levels that they're at. Um, I think people need to take more chances on the mid to low end tier players, the guys that you can buy a $20 orange. And if he doesn't pan out, it's okay. It was $20 for an orange. Everyone's too fixated on, I need to hit a home run as opposed to hitting singles. And I think that is what's going to change the way people look at what they're investing in, what they're playing in, and kind of the different ballparks that everyone can be a part of. Um, just because you can't afford Jackson Holiday doesn't mean you can't Bowman prospect and you can't chase guys that you're a big fan of. I know. And, and the interesting thing is, too, first off, those $20, $30, $50 gambles are absolutely 100% worth it every single time, uh, even in Chicago this past weekend. So... For reference, the time of recording today is Sunday. I got home yesterday night. 
Um, we usually record on Tuesdays, but just, you know, due to Thanksgiving, we moved it up a little bit. Um, I don't even know the guy's name who I grabbed. There was a random gold autograph of someone. It was a throw into a deal of 50 bucks. I said, screw it. It's 50 bucks. It's a gold auto. He's a hitter. It's from 2020 or 2021. It doesn't actually matter. It's a lottery ticket. I'll maybe grade it if it looks pretty good. And we'll move on from there. But I was also curious. Um, I typed in uh, the 2017 top 100 MLB prospect list because I figured, hey, that's a pretty good look at seeing what the industry was. Here are the top 10 prospects. I'm very surprised by this. Andrew Benintendi, Yon Mankata. Oh, God. That's the fear. That's the fear. If, if your guy's average and he's a top prospect, that's scary. Glaber, Dancy Swanson, Emmett Rosario, Alex Reyes, JP Crawford, Victor Robles, Tyler Glasnow, and Austin Meadows. That was the top 10 in 2017. I mean, that's not a horrible top 10. No, 2018, though. Oh, my God. So much better. Uh, this one, is, it feels like it's cheating, but Shohei was number one. But Acuna was number two. Yeah. Uh, followed by Vladimir Guerrero Jr., uh, Eloy Jimenez. Which, that's really when kind of everyone started getting into Bowman, is, is this period. That's why I went back and I just wanted to look at it. I didn't bother going to 2020 because like that could still be determined. 2014 is too late. It doesn't really yeah. matter. Uh, Glaber number five, Victor Robles. Nick Senzel, I remember buying him. Uh, Tatis was eight. Forrest, Rit Forrest Whitley and Michael Kopech. So, yeah. Uh, on those 20 players, uh, what would you say? Four or five of them are stars. And, uh, yeah, if you had bought those back then, you would have made a lot of money. But had you bought, you know, Tyler Glasnow or Victor Robles, you would have been SOL. Like, it, it, that's just yeah. the fear of prospecting. A hundred percent. I mean, but at the end of the day, that's what, I mean, and I don't want to use the term because it's not necessarily what we're doing, but that's the gamble with prospecting. That's the difference between baseball prospecting versus football and basketball. Well, football, and I've said this a few times, and, and I'm, I'm going to die on this hill. When you hashtag invest in quarterbacks, it is so dangerous because the, the no matter what seems to happen, the price will eventually drop. So, yeah, if you're making a short-term play and you're buying football now to sell at the National or right before the National, you'll do probably pretty well. If you're buying uh, a quarterback now to hold for 10 years – Ooh, that's super duper terrifying to even think about just comparing the market of today to quarterbacks who were debuting in 2013, 2014, 2015, and, and the, the price point between them. It's really kind of terrifying. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. I mean, I've talked about this a little bit. It doesn't necessarily have to do with like, I don't think that this is a breaker situation. I think this is just where the market went. But back in 2019, you were chasing Kyler Murray in NT, and the Cardinals were anywhere from like 370 to $400. And that was the top team in National Treasures, which yes. is one of the premier football products there is. Now you look at it, a mid-tier team is around $400, but that's also just because of what singles are selling for now. So, I mean, that leads into a great discussion about, obviously, I'm, I'm poking fun at the, the owner of Break Comp Cards. Um, for anyone who is not aware, this was an Instagram page that was founded somewhat recently. What they're doing is comparing the price point of uh, breaks across different uh, breakers. 
And I know there was a little bit of a kerfuffle, like Leighton blocked them on Twitter and they made a post about it and they were just like memeing a little bit. Um, I did prep you for this beforehand, so I'm not like jumping late into asking him about this, but I want to get your perspective on like the break comp cards thing and and the pricing of cards in general, um, even yeah. when it comes to breaks. So, yeah, I mean, I think break comp thoughts, cards man? as a website is a really good idea. I think that it done properly, um, it could definitely benefit the industry. I think that there's a lot of different factors that go into why people price the way their breaks are priced at. Um, do they have employees that they're having to pay uh, salaries and hourly wages to? Um, how many cases of said product are they going through? Things like that play into factors on what different people are pricing their pricing at. Um, but I do think that there, I don't want to say there's a need, but I think that there's a place in the industry for a website like Break Comp Cards. Um, we at Layton didn't block them to try and hide our pricing. Our pricing is literally public knowledge. It's available online. Um, we break on Fanatics Live. We break on our website. Um, you can always come into our streams and say, hey, how much was a team? And our breaker will, will let you know how much that team was. Um, so we're never trying to hide our pricing. Um, it literally came down to we were getting tagged probably 15, 20 times a day. And so it was just at that point becoming spam tagging and that's why we blocked them. Um, it had no beef, there was no, we we have no issues with their website. They can post our pricing, they can do what they wanna do. Um, it just came down to, we didn't wanna get spam tagged. I have the chat log, I'm kidding. No, obviously, that's funny. I mean, I, I get it, that's super annoying. And uh, no, I did not invite Lane on here to talk about that. Lane and I are friends, but I had to ask him. It was curious. I was curious. I think a lot of people were like, hey, like, what's, what's the deal here? Um, and it makes sense. I mean, listen, they're above anything else. And I think Lane, you would agree with this too. I want, I want a smarter industry. Like I really, I really have a lot of concerns when it comes to sports cards. Mostly it comes from people who just do not know any better, who will unfortunately buy into breaks. They maybe shouldn't do financially hit very little and they'll be like why the fuck did i do this and the main example i like to think of there was a guy uh maybe about a month ago maybe six weeks ago he posted on twitter um how he bought like 5k of justin fields cards and he's like this fucking sucks i lost all my money i'm getting out of cards like i really feel like there's a lot more people like that who we don't see online or very little online Versus the person who actually like really gets it and slowly starts to build their collection. There's a smart way to do it. And there's the unfortunate way of doing it where people get in, lose money or to get taken advantage of and then leave. And that to me is the scariest part. Yeah. So I think that there's different ways to look about it. And when I was working five days a week in the front of our shop, people would come in and say, hey, what should I get? And my first question is, what's your goal within the industry? Is your goal to rip packs and have fun? Then get whatever you want and just enjoy it and, and have fun. It's your entertainment. That's like, you're not gonna tell someone they can't go on vacation. You're not gonna tell someone they can't go to the World Series or the Super Bowl. I'm not in a place to tell someone how to spend their money, but if they're gonna ask me for advice on kind of to guide them in the right direction, that's when I'm gonna try and guide them in a direction that makes sense for what their objectives are. If they're looking to PC a certain player, then don't rip boxes to try and chase said player. Just buy a card of that player that you're really excited about that card and add that to your PC. If you're looking to hit the lottery, then yeah, join breaks. Join specific breaks that 
have a higher chance of hitting bigger cards. Join NT, join Flawless, join Prism. If you're looking at join breaks, relax, have fun, and just be entertained by breakers, go to a breaker that you like their stream, you like their chat, you like the vibes that they put off, and buy into a break. You don't have to buy the $500 team. You could buy the $50 team and get the same entertainment and same chances of hitting cards. It's just what you're going to get back out of it. Like, let's say in Bowman, if you're buying the Marlins versus buying, let's say, the Padres... You're you're not chasing the biggest hits, but you can still hit a Marcos Vargas, which is going to bring you back a couple of dollars. But you're also not paying four or five hundred dollars for that team. So everyone's able to participate in the industry, in the hobby at any level. Really, it just depends on what their goals are. I mean, you can join a flawless break for under a hundred dollars. Just the likelihood of you walking away with either cards or big cards is not that high, but doesn't mean you can't participate in a flawless break. Or, you know, just hang out in chat for free and be entertained. Like, that's the interesting thing, too, is and that's why I like Lane a lot, is you guys have a very good personality. Everyone seems to be super friendly and accommodating and, like, making jokes with each other. And it's good. Like, it's it feels very natural. Oh, my God. How dare I? And you know what? When I do buy in the breaks, occasionally, I will buy in with you guys. I was chasing the Anthony Volpe debut. I bought a couple of spots in uh, Topps Chrome Update, which was fine. Did not get the $150,000 bounty. So, Lane, I'm mad at you, obviously. <laughs> but you know what? I'll join with my friends because, hey, guess what? Oh, I want them to do well. That's the interesting thing, too. I don't think people get this. in Even in general, even outside of breaking or whatever, I want to give my money and my time to my friends and people I like. Is that controversial or is that a bad thing? Maybe. I saw an item on eBay today from someone uh, who I personally am not a big fan of. I did not bid on it because I'm like, well... You're not, you're not the best person. <laughs> I don't want to give you my money because that is me supporting your behavior, which I'm not a fan of. And, and maybe that's me being too direct with it, but at least I will always stand by the idea of I want to support my friends financially and not the people that leave me with a bad taste in my mouth whenever I deal with them. But that's the biggest thing also, like you said. If you really want to support your friends, it doesn't always cost money. You could share what they're doing. If they're content creators, share their content. If they're running a business and let's say their item is $2 more than the guy down the street, then maybe you pay $2 more because you're supporting your friend. Um, but in that same notion, if there's someone that you're not a fan of or someone that you strongly don't support, don't give them your money. By giving them your money, that's you supporting them. You could say whatever you want to say, but by giving them your money, you're supporting them. It's really, it's really kind of scary too. Um, this industry has a very weird way of taking people down a peg. I mean, I, I memed on it in the intro, and, and it's a good time to talk about it now. Sports card therapist Rob, who's someone I I, I would consider a friend. Uh, fucked up. And, and you know what? The situation with him, he was caught shill-bidding Eli Manning cards online, which is ironic because he talked about it on his podcast. I didn't like people shilling cards. Uh, you know, I feel bad for the person. I like Rob a lot as a person. The content creator side, it's like, ooh, this is really bad looking. Um, and then the apology was was not the best. Mega bidding is now a meme. I'm sure people are still dunking on him. Had 
the situation played out differently, I think he would have been fine. But now I'm curious to see what, what it looks like in two weeks if he's still making content on the podcast, if he takes a break, if people are still clowning him. It, it's going to be um, a weird time because I really do want to support him because I like him as a person. So it's just like, ugh, what do you do? I mean, I think it's going to be how does he respond? Um, this industry reminds me a lot of like a goldfish, so to speak where Goldfish only has a memory for 10 seconds. So it's the news for the weekend. Will it be the news for next weekend? Who knows? It depends on what happens in the industry. If something kind of changes people's attention. Um, I will say this, Lane, Goldfish actually have good memories. I've Googled this before. They have good memories. Oh, so that's just a saying then. (laughs) It's not Um, a legend, but it's, it's funny. Sorry. But yeah, so... Either way, it's just it depends on what happens within the space. Um, if another kind of commotion happens that changes the attention of everyone, then yeah, I think that it's going to get swept under under the rug, and it's going to be it is what it is. Um, at the end of the day, people do make mistakes. Um, we're not robots. We're not computers. We're not built by something to be perfect. Um, people do make mistakes. Was it messed up? What happened? Sure. As long as he actually learns from said mistake, doesn't do it again, and moves forward from it, um, that's at the end of the day all that we can hope for. Um, We don't want to chase everyone out of the hobby just for making a mistake. We want them to learn from their mistakes and not continue to do them and not compound on their mistakes. Um, I do wish that the apology was a a little bit more genuine. Um, That was the one kind of issue I had with it. You make a mistake, it is what it is, own up to it, move on from it. Um, and and that's just kind of where I'm at with it. It is what it yeah. is. We're in a hobby. Like, let's have fun. The apology could have been better. I think a lot of people would agree on that. Also, not for nothing, in terms of hobby sins, shilling cards, in my opinion, is probably the least serious. Obviously, it's bad. Uh, setting, setting fake comps is a bad thing. But I I have gone on record saying that there are significantly worse things that people get caught doing, um, and then they continue to, to live their life and, and nothing happens to them. Uh, Lane's computer crashed. What I was going to say, um, the sports card industry is very interesting. It's very high school girl-ish when it comes to drama. The way we handle ourselves is very um, catty. We like to just post fun and make memes behind each other's backs. I guess I'm part of the problem too, and I'm not claiming to not be because I'm poking fun at break comps cards and my intro makes fun of Rob a little bit. I, but uh, you have to just understand that's what we do. There's no actual repercussions for actions. So I stopped giving a fuck. It doesn't matter. In, in real life, in real life, there are very few people I genuinely do not like in sports cards, and I hope they don't do well, but I don't know what they look like. So it's just like, all right, I could be dealing with you. I have no idea what you look like. It doesn't matter. It's fucking trading cards. And that's yeah. the funny thing, too, is if uh, Rob or, or someone else made a mistake and people saw them in real life, nothing would happen. So who fucking cares? Just, like, move on. It, I used to really want to be someone who called out the, the righteous bulls. guy what's that the righteous guy i i really wanted to be the righteous guy and like call shit out as i saw it but i'm not perfect i don't claim to be perfect but i also understand it doesn't fucking matter no one actually cares that's i guess the unfortunate reality of the situation 
is if we really do try to police the hobby, be the hobby good guys, it, it just doesn't it doesn't work, and it's it's a real shame. Um, people just want attention. At the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. People want attention, and people really just want to people want to take each other down a peg. And I guarantee you, there'll be a point at some time where someone accuses me of doing something, or David caught got caught doing this. I'm like, all right, okay. Moving yeah, on. Like, people make mistakes, but at the end of the day, like you said, I think that it's important to do the exact opposite. Um, like you said, people are trying to take everyone down a peg. I think it's important to build up people, people that you consider your friends, people that you consider in your circle, so to speak. Make sure you're always showcasing what they're doing, showcasing their growth, helping them grow, doing what you can to help them. It all comes back around. Don't do something expecting something in return. Do something to help someone, and then in return, I guarantee you something will come back. Well, that's the funny thing too, and that's and that's how you build a community. Um, right now, online on Instagram, we it just doesn't feel that way anymore. Maybe earlier in like 2016, 2017, 2018, before there was stupid money available, it was a little more tight knit and more friendly and accommodating now dude if you were someone who was not into sports cards but joined instagram to try and figure stuff out i don't know how you would survive especially without like a group or a crowd or someone kind of guiding you i feel like you'd get taken advantage of for all your money and then you wouldn't know any better and it would just be fucked i mean kind of true i mean when i first joined the instagram community people were going live i mean kai bernie dom people like that like the quote-unquote instagram ogs even ryan card collector too they were going live they were doing live streams whether it was just single sales or literally just going live to hang out and chat and communicate like that's where i learned a lot of my stuff early on in 2016 2017 like you were saying um about instagram about how to grow within the instagram community i mean i don't like to necessarily say this but the instagram community kind of controls the show community it's kind of one in the same a majority of the people that are traveling to these shows that are going to shows are the instagram people whether it's our direct circle or not it's instagram people that are traveling to these shows it's social media people that are traveling to these shows we need to do a better job on social media of really capturing what's going on in the good and not just well this card sold for fifty thousand dollars and I paid 30000 for it, and I ripped off Joe to, to buy it because I convinced him that the card was awful, and then I ripped off Tom because I convinced him that the card was super rare and there was never a comp, and it's the lowest available and all this other nonsense. Like That's the type of content I think we need to cut out, and we need to bring back more content of why this card is awesome or what this brand used to be or things like that where it's like actually teaching people about the cards that you're chasing and not just the dollar signs behind the cards. The issue is, though, the, the cat is out of the bag. Like, when it comes to the dollars, that is going to attract more viewership and more interest than the story behind them. Because yeah, I can tell you, yeah, from a YouTube perspective, which is my fucking nine to five job these days, what's going to title better and what's going to get more views? I sold this $100,000 card, or you won't believe the story behind this trading card. Well, that's the trick. That's the trick. Because a lot of the cool stories behind cards are expensive cards. So you yes. can still title the video or you can still have the thumbnail be 
crazy rare $50,000 card. And then the video is actually just explaining what makes the card crazy rare in $50,000 as opposed to, well, it's a $50,000 card. Here we go. Yep. And then, and then you have the camera crew zoom in on the card and the money being counted on the table. Exactly. It, it's, dude, it's so fucking crazy. Like all I, I, I like being a bystander and all this stuff. I, I don't know if I'm an, influ I'm definitely not an influencer. I don't fucking want to influence shit. So I don't want to be an influencer either, but I want people to actually understand why a limited logos is a collectible set versus a numbers pieces or things like that, rather than, well, it's a Jordan on card auto that goes for $75,000. Like actually understand the, the significance of the specific sets you're chasing, the significance of the on card upper deck versus a random sticker upper deck or college versus pro things like that. I mean, yeah, I want it to be that way too. Whether or not it will happen, I don't know. Um, I don't mind a lot of the content creators who are out there and make and make decent content. I will be watching a lot of it when some of them go to Macau. I imagine a good amount will. That's going to oh, be insane. That's going to be really crazy. There's that, no that show will be, in my opinion, you're going to see stuff that you don't even see at the national. No, dude, it is going to be. The fear of that show is it's going to be a museum, which would mean people just putting stuff in the showcases, not actually making it available, but just to like hashtag flex on them hashtag Americans. It very um, well, it very well be will be that way with some of the dealers for yes. sure. Yes, but then again, that's the same way with some people that I know of who who set up a shows. Um, I, I'm curious to see the cultural barrier. Uh, I'm curious to see like what people do. I hope that they take in the culture of the fucking other side of the world uh, and also make deals for trading cards. I don't know. It's, it's it'll be. I really think, and this is more Kaushik and Matt um, from all who were on last week talking about this, and I'm going to echo what they said. If the show is good, and there's a very good chance it's going to be incredible. FOMO will kick in, and then a lot more Americans will travel there. It is going to be dummy expensive. Yeah, it's going to be thousands. It won't be cheap. Thousands, thousands and thousands of dollars to get there. So, I don't know. We'll have to see what happens. I look forward to seeing that though, because I believe that's um, early December. Is that show? Yep. I yeah, think so mid December. Be... Mid December. Okay. Okay. But... So that'll be really crazy. Another um, thing that I hope people are taking advantage of, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, all of these people, whether it be my age, I'm just under 30, or people that are significantly younger that are 18, 19, 20, 21, we're all traveling the country, traveling the world. Like, I hope that they're not just going to these card shows, going to the card show, going to trade night, going to sleep, waking up, going to the card show, going to trade night, going to sleep. Like, I hope they're actually getting to experience these places they're traveling to while working and experience, like actually doing both working, making their money at the card show, but then experiencing where you're getting to travel for, for essentially quote unquote free because you're working and making money to travel there. Dude. I mean, I, I was in Chicago. All right. So for the spectacular, I, I should probably touch on the show. Actually, um, I flew out Friday morning. Uh, I went to the show, set up, did my stuff. Went to the Bulls game with my friend. Uh, they played the Magic in the in-season tournament. I put a bet on the game, and I actually like won, which was shocking. There you um, go. Yeah, for real. Uh, left, went to went to bed, woke up, did the show yesterday on Saturday, and then flew home. Um, yeah, like you have to be able to balance out your ability to 
go and experience a show, but also like, you know, have some fucking fun. As for the Chicago Spectacular, it was fine. Like the expectations of that show are significantly different than a Dallas, a Nashville, a Burbank, a Del Mar, whatever. That show has been going on apparently for like 20 plus years. I was not aware of that. That's awesome. Um, and you can tell it's a little bit of an older show. It's a little bit slower. Um, it's in the same convention center as the National is, that Donald yep. E. Stevens Convention Center, but it's upstairs. So for everyone who has been to the National, if you walked into that main room, you would see like the Starbucks on the far, the far wall, and there's an escalator. If you took the escalator up, that's where the show is. Um, it's fine. It's, it's something I enjoy going to when I have the chance to. What is interesting, though, and this was something I found out yesterday and something that is going to be a, a, an interesting thing in 2024 and beyond, the show happens twice a year, or maybe three times a year. It doesn't matter. It happens on the same general weekends. The Dallas Card Show in March is on the same weekend. This show has been going on. do that. Exactly, Lane. This show has been going on forever, apparently. And generally does St. Patrick's Day weekend. You know, they die the river green, all that good shit. And whether or not Dallas purposely or unpurposely did it, they, they chose the same weekend. Um, I, I really... This is not going to happen ever, but I'm just saying, I really wish the fucking coordinators of shows like would actually like pay attention to each other and like respect each other. It's never going to happen. They, they unfortunately control so much of this industry by being either arrogant or pricks or controlling of like their domain. Um, and it's an ego thing too, because now you have taken two shows that are very respectable. I enjoy the Dallas car show a lot. I'm going to go there all the times I can. And I also like the Chicago show, but now because you want to have a dick measuring contest, or maybe you couldn't schedule it accordingly, or you weren't paying attention or, or whatever, uh, you now are having two shows that should not be competing with each other, competing with each other. And you know what? Unfortunately, Dallas is going to win out. So I guess they win, but it's really going to be like, wow, it's going to hurt both shows big time because it you're is. not going to get any of the Chicago people at Dallas and like it or not, there is a huge base of collectors and dealers that are from Chicago or from the Midwest that are going to go to Chicago over Dallas. Yeah. Just, I mean, it is what it is. Even this weekend, there was the Causeway show in Boston and the Chicago Spectacular. Yeah, it was and at Gillette. Yeah. It was at Gillette. Okay, sorry. Um, I could have theoretically gone to that show. That show was geographically closer, but I like Chicago more, so I chose that. Um, there is... I, I just fucking wish there was some level of intelligence between these showrunners. I don't, I understand things have to be scheduled in advance, but you know, when you start to fix problems, if it's in the future, you fucking fix them. Now you organize something and figure out, all right, 2024 is going to be fucked. I'm sorry. We all screwed up here. Let's make sure 2025 and beyond. We're actually making sure we coordinate this properly. Because yeah. if you just let this fucking problem continue, it's only going to get worse. And it yeah, only hurts everyone around. change though. The one thing I will say is, like, I think the Causeway shows, while people do travel to them, I think they're more designed to be, like, your local card show type of thing, where it's, like, not meant to be one of these, like, huge, like, the Chicago uh, Sportacular or, like, a Dallas show. But it is a big show. I'm not saying it's a small show, but I think it's more designed to be, like, geared toward the local, like, Northeast people versus, like, actually traveling in, come to this big show that we're we're growing it's going to be huge that's the difference i've only been to one of them um so i can't speak to how chris has grown it since the one i went to 
Um, he does a great job marketing the show. I'm not taking anything away from it. I just think that that's the difference between like why I think it was okay to have that show the same weekend as the Chicago show versus like the Chicago and Dallas being the same weekend. Here's the thing though, like, you know how those, you know how a Chicago spectacular gets started and created and goes for 20 years. Oh yeah. It's it able small. to, it's able to build itself and it's able to grow. And maybe this Gillette show, the Causeway show, whatever it's exactly called. Which they are growing. Awesome. Maybe in a year or two or three of not competing with itself or other shows, it grows into a three-day show. And there, oh, there's an airport nearby, or oh, there's some hotels that are here. Oh, this show is now really good. That's how it grows organically in a good way. But you're handicapping yourself or you're limiting the people who can go. Oh, I'm from New Jersey. I'm a pretty decent dealer. People might want me at a show. I'm a decent example of a dealer you might want to have. Oh, I chose the more established Chicago show because of X, Y, and Z factors. Maybe in three years had the show not competed with another one and was able to grow and was successful and continued to see itself grow. Oh, David's going to choose this show now because, oh, it's closer. Oh, it's a better rate. Oh, there's more people going here. Oh, all these important things. That's what happens. And it's interesting to me because you could see it grow super fucking quickly because look at Burbank. Look at what Burbank did. They started two years ago in a random ass hotel in Ontario, California. Then they went to the convention center. Then they, whatever the, the Anaheim convention center, like they have. And look at the polar opposite during COVID. There was two shows people were traveling to. There was the Dallas card show and there was the show in Florida. Oh yeah. This card show became what it did. And the show in Florida is just a little local show that people go to sometimes, I guess. I don't know. I haven't been in probably six months, but I used to drive out to it. Um, it was It's an all right show, but it was literally the one of the only two shows people were literally traveling the country for at one point. It could have become what Dallas became. And it just, like you're saying, depends on how you grow. It depends on how you market the shows. Dallas became what it did and that one didn't. Yeah, and that's, and that's it. Dallas is nothing special. There is nothing they've done that other shows cannot. The one thing they do, though, is suck up space. Six times a year for a show is super duper aggressive. But guess what? It sets the calendar. And whether people want it or not, Dallas is now the baseline. If you want to grow a show, make it successful, you have to make sure that you're not competing with Dallas. And the fact they're taking over territory now of Chicago is super interesting to me. I don't think that I would say they're taking over territory of Chicago. Like I said, I don't think that like maybe someone like you that sometimes travels to Chicago is going to go to Dallas instead. The people that regularly go to the Chicago show are still going to go to the Chicago show. Yes, but now you're you're handicapping yourself in a way because now, yeah. oh, hey, the March show feels empty. We're all these Chicago Bulls fans. Oh, they're in their hometown. Or where's all these Midwest people? Oh, they didn't travel here. I wonder right. why. Like Exactly. There is a way to do this intelligently, and whether or not it happens, it's not going to happen because, once again, there are showrunners who directly want to compete with each other and will schedule their shows around the same time or at the same time. Shout out Nashville, who also. But then I will, I will say there are showrunners that are attempting to do the exact opposite where you are, where they are trying to work with the hobby and the community, like Anthony Devine and his show that's coming up in Arizona, like Raphael and Culture Collision, like. Those are two show promoters that travel to shows that pay attention to the show calendar when they're planning their shows out. Sure, 
Sometimes that doesn't always work out. And I believe Culture Collision and Dallas ended up on the same weekend um, for one of them. But like, th- not for one coming up, but I'm just saying in the past, there was that one that oh, yeah, was yeah. the same weekend. That's but I'm just happen. saying like, Raphael tries to not plan anything on a when another show is taking place. Anthony Devine, it looked for an open weekend. Like, that's what you need when someone's trying to grow a show or start a new show is like, working with the with the community with the hobby making it make sense and so props to those two gentlemen for for doing their show correctly it's it's this is something i feel very passionate about because like you said the instagram community the people who are online who are a little bit younger generally or at least a little more tech savvy are the ones who will shake and move they will be the ones who travel and people who are primarily on people who are primarily on facebook generally generally are a little older a little more um not with it don't really give a fuck don't really care instagram does seem to be the barometer of at least what shapes and moves or at least what being seen obviously there's deals and plenty of business going on that is not seen and i can't tell you the percentage of that but Instagram, at least, is the visible world of the sports training car world. Not just that, but it's also like a guy like MC. He posts, hey, I'm going to be at Dallas. You know there's going to be a big buyer that you can move liquid cards to to get cash. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be at Dallas. I'm going to be at Chicago. I'm going to be here. You know you can go and get cash. The list can go on and on. RBI crew, when they set up at shows, like I'm sure they were at the Chicago Sportacular. Although it was Ryan's birthday, so maybe they weren't. Um, but like... When you know these big shops, these big dealers are going to be at these shows and they're posting on social media, hey, we're going to be set up. Here's what our inventory is. If you're interested in anything, hit us up. Like they're setting up deals. They're creating, they're bringing cash. They're bringing people to your shows. So that's what you want. That's, That's the foundation of the shows. That's what I meant earlier by the Instagram community. It's we're the ones marketing your shows. We're essentially doing it for free. However, the more we market your show, the better the show is for us, which means the better we'll do at your show. So while we're doing it, quote unquote, for free, we're also doing it for a reason. Yeah. Listen, I love to I love to tag the shows when I run it. I love to show my inventory. I love to make sure people know I'm there. I'm not a celebrity influencer, but there are people who, oh, I didn't even know the show existed. I didn't even know the show was happening today. Thank you for posting it. Who the fuck am I? Why am I the one doing your job for you? Oh, because I want to make sure the people who do come, who either watch this podcast or like my Instagram content or enjoy memes, see me like, oh, wait, I know that guy. Like, let me go make a a conversation happen. Oh, I'm happy I came to the show because I made a deal with him. And oh, I'll make sure I come back. Let's be real. You have what? Almost 10,000 followers, I'm assuming, on Instagram. So you're like 20,000. Okay, so I was way off. You have 20,000 followers on Instagram. I'm sure your stories get probably around 3,000 views then. Less, because I've been around forever. Okay, so fine. We'll say 1,000 views. That's 1,000 people that are seeing a show is going on, that are seeing deals are being made. So it's not just, hey, the show is going on. It's literal transactions are happening at the show, which makes me know it's worth it to go to said show. If I just see a show is going on, that doesn't necessarily mean there's good cards. It doesn't necessarily mean there's good pricing. Um, Granted, not every show is meant to go and make deals. I go to some shows, especially local shows, just to hang out with my friends, just to say hi. Sure, I might make a deal or two, but it's literally just to go and hang out and like be around people that are like-minded that enjoy cards because I can just, I can talk about cards all day long. 
I don't need to be making deals to, to have a good time. Granted, the deals are what make it actually worth it to go. The friends are what make me actually go to the show. And and there you go. Hey, if you had a good local show lane that you were traveling to and like, oh, look at all these pickups from uh, this this Florida show here. And then you'd be like, oh, wait, there are people here in this area who, who know that I live here. Oh, wait, maybe next time. Hey, let's meet up. Let's make a couple deals happen. Let's have some lunch. Make another friend that way. Oh, all of a sudden this local show that was 30 tables. Oh, it's expanding to 45. Oh, wait, now this person who didn't know about it is coming here. Oh, now yep. it's 60. And like... Exactly. Natural growth that happens because just deals are taking place. It's really, it's really so simple. And that's why I love to talk to EJ, who, who was helping Burbank manage their show and like helped it grow to what it was because he, he really is with it. He understands that importance of the community aspect and the deals being shown and also partnering with someone who was able to help his vision become reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and whatever he does next, I'm super excited to see because he is this next generation of showrunners who can really elevate the card experience. And whatever he does next is going to be fucking incredible. And I'm going to apply to it no matter what. Yeah, I don't disagree. EJ is a great guy. And he, he really is. People. He, he genuinely looks out for people um, and not just the biggest names in the industry. Like he'll look out for someone that just is looking for one small table and and wants to set up with bargain boxes. It literally didn't matter who you were. As long as you were a good person, he looked out for you. Wow, what a, what a, what a crazy statement to say, right? right? Insane. I know. All right, what else is there to talk? We touched on Lane a little bit. We touched on your, on your card experience. What else are you feeling passionate about these days? Where do you think this industry is going in the next six months to a year? Do you think prices continue to crater? Do you think that we've hit a quote-unquote bottom? What are you? What is your vibe as uh, an industry expert and like kind of on the more professional side of things? Um, so I think right now is a very interesting time, if I'm being honest. Um, <laughs> I think it depends on, again, it goes back to what I said. When someone walks into the shop, what are your goals of the industry? I think it all goes back to what are the goals of different people within the industry? If your goal is to be a repacker, right now is a awesome opportunity to be a repacker. If you know the industry and you know what cards you're looking for, you're able to find amazing cards at great pricing that you're able to then give to your customer base at great pricing as well. Um, It's going to allow for these repacks to kind of start being jaw-dropping again without having to be a $5,000 buy-in to see some absolutely insane cards. Um, So that's one thing to start looking for is Hopefully the repackers start shifting away from like the base prism, the silver prism, stuff like that. And we start seeing some like insane stuff like we should be. Um, When I'm building the repacks for Layton, which is Almanac, that's what I try and go for. I try and go for unique cards, one of ones, logo mans, bat knobs, um, old cards with stories, significance as to why there might be a triple or dual auto, things like that. Um, That's what I'm looking for. I don't really like to put in the base cards, the quote-unquote ultra modern liquid cards sure some of those end up in there just i don't want to say as filler cards but essentially as filler cards um but but that will never be the bulk of what you're seeing in a repack that at least i'm building and i hope that we start to see that shift from other repacks as well um being cognizant of the condition of the cards that are going into the repacks you don't want to give people damaged cards they're not going to come back to you if a card is damaged just take your loss sell it on ebay 
do whatever you got to do market as damaged it and move on don't put it in your product um that's kind of the saddest thing that i see when someone comes up to me as a repacker to sell me a card and it's like yeah i hit this in a repack and i go and i like attempt to buy it and then i see that there's like half. a legit giant crease going across the back and it's like hey man like it's an amazing card like sick card but i can't use this unfortunately like i wouldn't put this in my product so i can't buy it from you um it sucks having to turn people down that are spending their hard-earned money on cards thinking that they like hit a huge chase or hit something big and it turns out that it's a damaged card that goes for a fifth of what they thought it went for um on the flip side if you're a collector i think right now is an awesome time to be in the space i think you're able to get some really rare unique cards uh, at really good values. I picked up a uh, Corbin Carroll on-card rookie auto from Topps Chrome Cosmic out of five. I paid exactly. just over $1,000 for it. To me, being able to get a unanimous rookie of the year on-card auto out of five for just over $1,000 already graded um, is, a, is a buyer's market. You just have to be careful with who you're buying. Um, right now i think is also a great time to be taking risks if you have the bankroll to take risks right now is a great time to be putting some some players away that you believe in um but also putting away foundational pieces for your collections literally i get it was covid time but less than a year ago babe ruth cut autos were going for 40 50 60 thousand dollars now you can get some really nice ones for instead of 60 70 80 thousand for 40k you can get some of the like lower tier ones that were going for 30k for 10 to 15k. Um, so being able to put away like Babe Ruth cut autos, being be, being able to put away really cool logo man bat knobs, stuff that was six, seven k, eight k during the boom that's kind of trickled down to that three, four k range. I think is a good place to be putting them away in your actual collection, not to flip. I don't think buying it at four k, you'll be able to flip it immediately for five k or six k like we were during COVID. But I do think that it's back to pre-COVID where you buy a card, you put it away for a year or two, and you'll actually be able to see gains on it if you're buying the right cards. Wow, what a crazy thing to say, Elaine. Also, I'd be curious to see how many people who watch or listen to this content came before COVID or during COVID. Because you know what? A lot of people who are now starting to see the first little drop-off in a recession or in a card market recession, I should say, are, are are truly feeling the pinch because this is where truthfully a lot of money is made yeah. um i can only speak for myself i am more of the dealer slash flipper side but i'm also the king of taking back whatever inventory i need to or want to because i'm willing to put it on ebay or best offer ebay auction if needed or send it to consignment and like re-roll that money because i'm also a big believer in hey if i trade for an item at 1500 bucks but I sell it for even $1,400, let us say, hypothetically, right away, that cash does me much better in the long term than holding that item for trade. So yeah, you might lose the battle, but win the war if you have the money to then grow your stuff. You don't have to win every single deal, especially if you're trading. If you are selling those items then, and you get the money back, that gives you a lot more buying power in today's market, where, dude, I don't... E I don't even remember the last time I sold a card either at eBay comps, like full stick, full ass on Instagram or, uh, you know, even close to 95%. You're always expecting, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how it goes to sell stuff at 80 to 85%. So I will say that's kind of like 
I don't want to call it a luxury, but it's essentially a luxury that I've had in the sense that with having a full-time job in cards, it's allowed me to become more of a collector instead of a flipper. So when I do post cards, I'm kind of firm on what I'm asking because I don't have a need to sell them. It's more of I'm selling them because I want to shake up my collection. I want to add some new new cards to my collection. And that's the only reason why I'm posting them. Um, so I do typically get that like 90 to 95% comps. Or like I told you literally right before we went live today, I sold an RJ Barrett today for $150 over the last comp. Um, I was in no rush to sell it. I just had it listed and it sold and it was what it was. If it sold, it sold. If not, sweet, I'm going to hold on to it. I'm in no rush to move it. Um, and that's just something that I'm really thankful for that I'm in a position to go back to being a collector. Um, that's what got me into the hobby originally was my passion for cards and collectibles. Um, and so it's nice being able to really focus on that again on my end while still working within the industry and building repacks, buying cards, following the market still very attentively um, and making sure that we're giving good value across the board, whether it's me personally selling and buying cards or what I'm doing within Leap. Yeah, listen, I think you know that too. And also, not for nothing, you selling a card over comps shows there's a healthy market because RJ Barrett's been playing pretty well um, for the Knicks. So it's almost like, hey, prices can go up if player does well. What a, what a, exactly. what a phenomenon in, in today's world. Yeah, shocker. Uh, We're getting back to, to a healthy market where a player, like you said, is performing so his prices go up or her prices go up. Same thing. I mean, you look at different WNBA players. The WNBA card market is very healthy right now. You could rip WNBA products and make a good amount of money off of them. That's like an industry secret right now that I guess like same with your like um, the NGA. Japanese o uh, Bowman. Like it was the same situation like you don't have to spend a, a bajillion dollars on wax. You don't have to buy the highest of end wax to be able to rip, enjoy, and still make some money on it. You could rip WNBA Prism. You could rip WNBA Origins and, and do well. I would recommend ripping it by the case. It does get a little bit more expensive that way versus an individual box. Um, so if you can afford a case, rip it by the case. That's how I would recommend it. That way you're getting the case hits. You're getting all of the color. Um but you can get a WNBA prison box for like $120 and you're going to hit color. Grade that color for $19 and, and you're going to make money. Or rip MPB like I do for like 45 bucks a box. Yeah, exactly. And grade your hits and you don't even have to grade your hits. Just list your hits and you will you should make your $49 back. And then it's a free roll to just enjoy ripping product. Oh, dude, it's so much fun. I, 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 I'm getting back into ripping more NPB. There's a legitimate chance, too, I've ripped more than anyone else in this entire country, which is really fucking funny to me. But it's actually enjoyable. It's not about oh, dude, it's so a billion-dollar card. It's not about hitting the lottery ticket. It's just I enjoy ripping wax. I enjoy opening cards. So I found a product that I find enjoyable, that I'm able to make some money back and have fun. Yeah. What a, what a, once again, what a crazy thing. Lane, thank you so much for joining. Any closing thoughts, anything else you want to touch on before we wrap up or are we good? Honestly, it's just the last statement is just, let's go back to having fun. Um, during COVID, it was all about the grind of make as much money as you can be as glamorous, get the biggest cards you can. I think we need to go back to pre COVID where let's build each other up. Let's have circles. Let's have community. Let's, let's go back to enjoying the cards for what they are, which is collectibles, 
we can still make money we can still make a living and we can look out for one another as you grow make sure the people around you are growing so that you're not leaving someone behind i have nothing else to add there lane that was a perfect way to end the episode thank you so much thank you guys for watching or listening Maybe next week we have Kai back. I, I don't know what the fuck is going on, dude, but we'll figure it out then. Um, I also believe, based on schedules, we have someone who I'm really, really excited to have on the podcast. It's going to be Jay Mojo Sports. Oh, that'll um, be awesome. Dude, I, I'm super excited to talk to Jay about, like, once again, the last month has been hobby experts, industry experts, and now someone who I consider a friend in Jay because Jay is pushing the needle forward when it comes to content creation. I want his perspective. I want to be able to uh, also cash in on that YouTube viewership from him and then also get a very unique perspective because he is a masterclass when it comes to content creation in, in sports trading cards. So super excited to talk to him. Hopefully it's next week. We'll figure it out schedule-wise. Um but I'm I'm super fucking pumped. I, I that is gonna be incredible. Yeah, that I can't wait to listen to that show, Dave. Thank you for having me on. This was a lot of fun. I look forward Lane. to coming back if you have me. Oh, dude, you're welcome back whenever. And and that's for anyone in general. If you have a story to tell and you have a unique perspective and you want to share, it, please fucking hit me up. I I'm so excited. But Lane, you're always welcome back. Kai's welcome back too. <laughs> and I'll see you guys next week uh, with an exciting new episode of the Soul to Early Podcast. Thank you guys for watching or listening. We'll see you next time.